You know, when we really stop and think about it, we have to admit that Christmas is absurd. Christmas is just absurd. Now, I'm not talking about the way we've come to celebrate Christmas. I mean, most of us would complain that it's way over-commercialized. There isn't any reason in the world why Christmas should be one of the major drivers of our economy, you know, and that, that our kids should judge how good a Christmas they've had on what, what's underneath the tree for them tomorrow, you know. But we've gotten to that place, but I, I don't think that's why Christmas is necessarily absurd. You know, in fact, I think Christmas was absurd when my father was a kid. He used to love telling us when we, when we were kids, he said, you know, when I was a kid, I was just happy to get a new pair of socks on Christmas, you know. And, but I think Christmas was absurd back then. Some of us might say, well, well, you know, Christmas is absurd because of just the, the details of Christmas. I mean, God becoming enfleshed, you know, the God entering into the womb of a virgin and being born in a manger in the middle of some nondescript little village that nobody knew and being laid out in a stall in the midst of all these animals and he's somehow the king of kings and the lord of lords and there's a special star in the sky that they can see from thousands of miles away that directs wise men there and there's angels speaking to shepherds and and we listen to all that stuff and we say, that is absurd. But that's not why I think it's absurd. You know, it's not the, the what or the where or the how or the when or any of those kinds of things that, that really bother me. In fact, you could go back, and scholars have been for centuries explaining how theologically it all makes sense that God was working from the moment Adam and Eve fell in the garden working through all of his covenant history, working through all the sacrificial system and the, and the, the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement, and all that kind of stuff. These big terms that systematic theologians love to throw around, they can make perfect sense of it. You know why I think Christmas is absurd? It's not because of the what or the where or the how or the when, but the why. The why of Christmas is what makes it absurd. Why? Why would God send his only son into the world for us? Now, we know the answer, right? Many of us, if we went to church at all as a kid, we learned a verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We, we know that the answer to the question of why this absurdness is the love of God. But just because we know the answer doesn't mean we understand the answer. I mean, you could teach a two-year-old or a three-year-old that the square root of 49 is 7, and so you might ask them that question, well, what is the square root of 49? They might say 7, but that doesn't mean that they understand why. They might know the right answer, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they understand the right answer. And part of that is the way God wants it. You know, God's different than us, right? He loves differently than us. He, he is, I mean, he's holy, he's righteous, he's perfect, he's eternal. You know, he never changes. And, and with that, God's just different than us. And the way he loves is different than us. And there's a part of it that's a mystery. There's a part of it that will always remain absurd to us. But God does invite us to receive him. And as we've been learning this season through our Advent studies as a church, we've been, we learned that, 
That invitation to receive him and to become the children of God is really God's invitation for us to put our lives in his hands. Literally to put our lives into his hands. And it's been fair of us to say, well, what are those hands like? If I'm going to depend on them, if I'm going to trust them, if I'm going to lean on them, what are those hands like? And we've seen throughout our journey that God, that Christmas teaches us that God is faithful. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his character. He's faithful to his work. He's faithful to his word. We've seen that God is sovereign. The things that he promises, the things he says he's going to do, the things that he hasn't, he has the power and the control to be able to do those things. We've seen that God is wise. God knows how to do what's best for us, and he knows how to do it in the best way. But in the midst of that invitation, God wants us to understand what his love for us is like. Even if we can't get all of the big picture, God still wants us to get enough of it that we have enough trust to place our lives in his hands. So I want to try to just give you a, a handle on the cause of the absurdity of Christmas, the why, which is God's love. And, you know, one of the things for me is that it always helps me to have like an acrostic to remember things. You know, I, I mean, I still use, you know, as I think about the order of the books of the New Testament, I still use... You know, for Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, I still use General Electric Power Company, GEPC, and I can remember what order they're in, you know. So I want to give you an acrostic tonight to kind of hang on to. It's understanding just a little bit about the absurdness, which is God's love for us as reflected in Christmas. And I'm going to give you the word super. Now, some of you have been around long enough at Hope Chapel might think I might use the word supper, but you know, I'm going to stay away from the food stuff tonight and just use the word super. And, and so the first thing I tell you is that this absurd love that God has for us, which is the cause of Christmas, is sacrificial. Do you know that the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, the third chapter, verse 18, that before the, it refers to Jesus who is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Before God even created the Garden of Eden and put Adam and Eve into it, before they had even sinned, God had already planned to sacrifice himself for us. God's love for us is sacrificial. Now, we think we know what sacrificial love is all about. Some of you, you, you put a lot of presents up underneath the tree tomorrow for people that you love. And next month, the bills are going to be coming rolling in. And you're going to be thinking, I made a big sacrifice for this Christmas. And perhaps, you, you know, that's true. But that doesn't have anything close to the type of sacrifice that God's made for us. You know, I came across a story this week from, from history. It was from the 1860s. Back in the 1860s, the, the emperor of Ethiopia, his name was Theodore, Theodore III, he took into custody custody 53 Europeans. 30 of them were adults, 23 of them were children. He moved these captives inland, and he put them in a citadel that was on the top of a mountain that was 9,000 feet high. And he held them against the authorities of Europe. For four years, they tried diplomacy. The Queen of England even stooped to sending a personal letter to the emperor, begging him to release those that he held in captive. And he still refused. So with what historians think is the, the greatest logistical military exercise, maybe only rivaled by D-Day during World War II, 
the English mobilized to free these 53 prisoners. They moved 32,000 troops to the shores of Africa. They built a harbor and put in piers to land these guys. They built water treatment facilities and sanitation facilities. They built a railroad to transport everybody out to where they were, the battle was going to take place at the Citadel. They put in telegraph systems. They went through 100 million pounds of beef with the, with the people that they brought onto that thing, and 30,000 tons of rum. The English like their rum. I think that translates out to about 60 million gallons, I think, something along those lines. This was a massive undertaking. All of this sacrifice and effort for 53, for 53 people. But I got to tell you, that I, I, not even that kind of gets into the same zip code, maybe not even to the same continent of the kind of sacrifice that God has made for us in Christmas. Do you realize that not only did Jesus come out of heaven and become one of us and grow up as an infant and move through toddler and become a child and then through adolescence and then moved into adulthood and then God had him brutalized and executed as a substitution for our sin, but that God literally took him who knew no sin, being Christ, and he literally had him become sin that Jesus actually embodied, he incarnated sin, and then God unleashed all of his fury, all of his wrath, all of his judgment from all the ages on sin on his son. Now that's sacrifice. And part of what makes Christmas absurd is that God's love for us is super because it's sacrificial. It's also unconditional. God loves all of us. We don't deserve his love. We forfeited it from the fact that we, we basically decide to do life our way instead of God's ways. The, the book of Romans calls that being the enemies of God, calls us sinners, and with that we're separated from God. You know, when I became a parent, I thought I knew what unconditional life was like, love was like. You know, I have two boys, they're both in our service tonight, you know, and, 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 and when you have a child, it, it, it's a special kind of connection, isn't it? You, you, just, you just have this bond with them. And there's a sense that no matter what they do, you may be disappointed in them, you may be discouraged by them, and all that, but you're never going to stop loving them. You love them unconditionally. I mean, there are people today who still love Aaron Hernandez, right? You know? I mean, there's, something, there's always somebody out there who will love somebody unconditionally. But let me let you in on a secret. Though I may love my kids unconditionally, that doesn't necessarily mean that I would love your kids unconditionally. Do you know what I mean? And, and yet, when we think about God's love for us, he loved all of us unconditionally. Not just, not just a couple special ones, but he loves everybody unconditionally. Every single one of us who said, God, I'd rather do life my way, go away, I'll call you when I need you, God still loves us unconditionally. It's incredible. God's love is super because it's sacrificial and it's unconditional. But you know what? It's also personal. And that's the P in super. It's personal. You know, a few minutes ago, Steve read for us the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds. And one of the things that they said to them, said, in, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Now, I, I think of that word you in that statement as the universal singular. 
It's not like God just loved all of mankind, but therefore there's maybe parts of it he does. But he loved every single one of us specifically. It's a universal you. He loves me. He loves you. He, he loves every single one. It's personal. God knows every hair on your head. God knows every hair on your head that you've lost. You know? I mean, God loves us personally. It's an amazing thing. You know, Max Lucado is one of my favorite authors. I don't read all of his stuff, but a lot of his stuff. And, but I love the way that he puts it. He said, you know what? If, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. God sends you flowers every spring. God sends you a sunrise every morning. You know, God, God's real ready, ready to listen whenever you're ready to talk. He, he could dwell any place in the universe, but he desires to dwell in your heart. And the gift that he sent us in Bethlehem, man, he's just crazy about this. You see, the gift of Christmas, what makes it so absurd, is that I, I think that that. Even if God came to die just for one of us, he would have. Some of you are familiar with the story of the parable of the, of the sheep, the 99 and the 1. You know, the shepherd who moves his sheep into the corral at night, and he's got them all inside, and he's counting them up, and there's 99 inside, but that means there's one missing. There's one out of the 100 that's not there. And the shepherd leaves the 99 behind, and he goes looking for the one. And part of the thing of the message is, is that if God... If I was the only one in the world who needed a Savior, Christ would have come. If Chris was the only one in the world who needed a Savior, Christ would have come. If Ken was the only one in the world who needed a Savior, Christ would have come. God loves us personally. It's not just kind of some generic kind of thing out there. God loves us personally. And that's super. God's love for us is so absurd, it's super. God's love for us is sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's personal, and it's eternal. You know, Scripture tells us that God has always been, God will always be, and He never changes. And then it says God is love. So that means that God has always been, is, and will always be loving. Now, if I understand what love is, love is, is, is a relational quality, is it not? So, what happened was that God, in being faithful to his own nature to love, it wasn't that he needed an object to love, but just in being faithful to his nature, he created people. He created you and me so that he could love us and that he could perfect us. And that's where Christmas comes in. See, the loving part got messed up by our imperfection. And God executed the plan that he'd always had to perfect us in his son. And that's eternal. Because God's love for you has been eternal. And it will always be eternal. It's an incredible message to us. It's not like God looks around and says, well, I like him and I like him and I like him, but I don't really like you. you know? But God's love for us is eternal. It doesn't go up and down. It doesn't change day to day. God's love for us is eternal. So it's super, it's sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's personal, and it's eternal. But here's the, here's the kicker. Here's what I really want you to hear tonight. God's love is receivable. 
God's love is receivable. You notice in the passage I read when we started our service about 60 minutes ago, the word was that to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. God's love is receivable. Mike McDaniels told us about his journey of coming to sense and to know and to receive God's love into his life. It's not just something that's kind of out there, but it's something that we have to receive into our lives. You see, God has given us a present, and that present is the gift of his presence, the Emmanuel, God with us. And, And he's wrapped it up in human form in his son, Jesus Christ. But we have to unwrap the gift to make it ours. We have to receive it. We have to receive God's love into our lives, and that takes a choice. And I stand before you tonight to urge you to make that choice if you've not. In fact, as I think about the absurdity of, the absurdity of Christmas, the why, this, this love of God, this love that is super, the sacrificial and unconditional and personal and internal and receivable, what seems just as absurd to me is not receiving that love. It's not hard to receive God's love. It may be the most profound thing that you'll ever do. It certainly is life-transforming, as Mike shared with us. But it's not hard. It's not complicated to receive this gift of God's love. God made it easy. It's part of the reason why he sent his son in the the form of a child. See, all you got to do is is admit you need a Savior. You know, I'm undeserving. I'm separated. I, I... I need God's unconditional love. Admit you need a Savior. Then believe that God, that Jesus is God's solution to, in terms of being your Savior. And then commit your life just to, that, to walking by faith in Christ. There's lots of questions you're going to have, and et cetera. I, I encourage we, we you can go by the table as you leave tonight. We have some great resources out there that will help you maximize the present of God's presence in your life. We'd love for you to swing by. They're right out there in the center tables. There'll be somebody there. But, but you need to receive the gift of God's absurd love into our lives if we're not going to be absurd in rejecting the gift of Christmas. So in the, night, in, in the name of God tonight, in the name of Christ, it's my privilege to extend to you the super love of God, that sacrificial, unconditional, personal, eternal, and receivable love of God. Receive it in Christ's name. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we're grateful that you never had to come up with a plan B. That you never had to say, well, boy, that didn't work, i got to do it a different way, but you've always had a plan in mind, a plan that culminated in the birth of your son as a tiny infant in a little manger in a nondescript little village called Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, a life that led to to the gospel, the good news of eternal life as God's gift to us through faith in the son. God, thanks for the gift tonight. If you're ready to receive that gift tonight, you could just pray this prayer silently in your own heart and mind, the same way I'm going to vocalize it up here. And if you mean it, you've received the gift. That's God's promise. God, I admit to you I need a Savior. 
done stuff that I can't change. I need your forgiveness. I need a Savior. I admit to you I need a Savior. God, I believe that Jesus is that Savior. He's your Son. He came to be the sacrifice for my sin, to be my Savior. God, I choose to believe that tonight. And I commit my life to living by faith in Him. I'm not sure exactly all that that means, but I'm ready to learn. This is my commit myself to living by faith. For this I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Again, if you are ready to take that step tonight, we'd love to get a chance to meet with you. There's actually some cards there in the back of your chairs that you could just fill out, and we'll make sure we know who you are and have a chance to follow up with you, and certainly go by the table and avail yourself of the great resources. Thanks for being out tonight. We're not quite done with our service yet. Just a minute, our worship team's going to come, and we're going to sing our final songs. The lights are going to go dim, and then George and I will light our candles off of the center candle, which represents Christ, and then we'll move down the center aisle and light those, and you just pass that light out to the far end of your uh, rows. Let's do so safely, but let's celebrate the God. So let, invite, let me invite our worship team to come and lead us in our final two songs, Silent Night and Joy to the World. And as they come, stand with us, if you will, as we sing to him. We're done. And again, I encourage you, kids, make sure you swing by the table. There's a small gift for you. And if you'd love some resources to continue to experience the presence of God's present to us, swing by the table out there. Just a simple benediction. May the strength of God sustain you. May the power of God preserve you. May the hand of God hold you. And may the way of God direct you as the love of God fills you. God bless. Have a great Christmas. And you are dismissed. Thanks for coming. Just put these out in the baskets as you go.